I'm Audrey Hollenberg Duffy. And I'm her husband, Tim Hollenberg Duffy. We are a married couple doing pastoral ministry together under the faith umbrella of Anabaptism and Radical Pietism, more specifically in the Church of the Brethren, and most importantly, for Jesus. We've always enjoyed chats about faith life because we found in each other a companion that gets us, even when it doesn't feel like we fit in the boxes of American life or mainstream American Christianity. We believe the Church is crucial to faith and practice, and yet also accept that religious institutions are crumbling. We believe being disciples of Jesus Jesus rarely fits a pre-made container. So join us for our meanderings as we try to find a faithful Jesus way forward. Welcome to this episode of Coffee with the Pastors, the podcast. We're going to spend the next couple weeks with a theme related to a book that Tim just finished not that long ago. But before we dive into that book, I'm wondering, Tim, where have you seen God recently? I'd say that I saw God uh, as we relaunched our Faith Formation Hour here at church. That's our fancy phrase for what used to be known as Sunday school. But Faith Formation, I mean, that says it a lot better, yeah, right? It's I, a lot I less. I love the way you talked about it on Sunday in your, your announcement about how the difference between Sunday school and Faith Formation. Well, school, yeah, school, it's such an institutional kind of, kind of word, but it, it conjures, I think, some connotation of facts to be learned but we're not i mean yeah we're learning we're learning scriptures and we're learning um maybe different components of faith or theology or whatever but really what we're most interested in happening in our small groups that take place before worship is that faith is formed in community Mm -hmm. right and so you come together and engage matters of faith that are real for the people that are gathered and we grow from learning those stories from one another and connecting them to the stories of of God and Jesus, right? So I started a new faith formation class on Sunday, and I'm excited to delve into, I think, some relevant themes about Christ and culture, and I'm excited about the folks who will be joining in on that cool. and see God and the potential connections that we'll, that we'll share in the places we'll get to and share in our hearts together. So how about you? Where have you seen God recently? Well, we just celebrated my grandmother's 90th birthday. So she Where were you 90 years ago? I was not even a twinkle in an eye. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't even in a twinkle in a twinkle of an eye. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, she her birthday was last week and then on Saturday my uh, a big chunk of my family gathered to celebrate her. Um, and it was the first time, I think in a decade, when all of my cousins were together. And we grew up, most of us, in the same town, mm. uh, went to the same church. And so my cousins really were my first friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, one of my cousins is the same age as me. You know, we grew up going through the same milestones together. And he just had a daughter three weeks before our son was born and we were, we were three months apart in age and now our kids are three weeks apart. That's cool. <laughs> so, you know, at, at one point we looked at grandma and the whole group that was gathered there and we said, you are responsible for all of this. And I think in that we meant twofold, like 
you know, we wouldn't be here without you, but also all the shenanigans that are happening are, are your fault. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, I definitely hmm. saw God in the multiple generations sharing space together. My grandmother is an incredible woman of faith, and that faith was evident in the generations that were present. Nice. Well, as Audrey said, we're going to spend uh, three weeks here uh, looking at some of the themes of a book that I just finished by um, a journalist, Bob Schmitana. The book is called Reorganizing Religion, and it kind of looks at religious institutions, Christian religious institutions in particular, and takes a journalistic kind of perspective on this time that we're in with institutions that literally are, are crumbling and fracturing and shrinking. Mm -hmm. um, that sounds lovely, doesn't it? Yay! Yay! Crumbling of the institutional well, we church. Do, we do say it every time in our opening. Yeah, <laughs> it's like a cheery thought that we start our coffee with. It doesn't need to be all scary. No, in fact, I think there's both reason for it and hope that can be found in the midst of it. Right, yeah. So Shmatana, he's, he's a practicing Christian, um, but he doesn't bring necessarily all the baggage, I think, that if a pastor or a religious institution leader was writing this book, he takes that kind of objective journalist perspective with some investment or an, uh, an objective investment in in what the church brings to society, right? Mm -hmm. And what we might be losing and what needs to be gained, right? right? And so I really appreciated that. He, he breaks his book up into three chunks where we stand now, which is kind of a taking stock of what's going on with the Christian institution now. Uh, the second section is why are people leaving or why people leave the church? And we'll talk about that one next week. And then in the third week, uh, where do we go from here? What's the trajectory for religious institutions or the next iteration of Christian institutions? Mm -hmm. So today we're going to talk some about the, the where we stand, which I think is something that we've talked about on this podcast a good bit. It made me think a little bit of your uh, unholy trinity from your doctoral research, mm -hmm. right? That was a little bit of the taking stock of yeah. <laughs> where, where is the institutional church right now? Well, it's... And, and maybe before we start, I think it might be helpful to differentiate between church and institution. Church is a theological concept. Sure. And the institution is how we, as humans, have created structure to hold that theological ideal. Right. And so we'll, we may criticize or offer critique of the institutional church. That's not to say that we think the church itself, as God intended it, as Christ initiated it, is wrong. <laughs> right, right. No, the fact of the matter is, anytime, anytime there is church, there's some measure of institution. Right. Right. There, anytime people are coming together, there's going to be a committee. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Right, or something. Yeah, anytime there's more than one person involved, you have to have rules of engagement, and from there, an institution is born. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> And we've established before that Christianity is not a faith that you can do by yourself. Yeah. And so when people are going to come together to do this, yes, there's going to be uh, walls and boundaries and webs of authority that 
keep a system moving. Right. So, so he he outlines just some basic statistics that I think uh, many of us are aware of that just map out congregational decline and participation decline. And then those statistics in recent years, largely due to the pandemic, but probably also some of your un, other unholy trinity aspects like uh, the political divisions and uh, social media and virtual church and these kind of forces, they have sent participation statistics in institutional church plummeting, right? And while that was a trend that we were seeing slowly happen over the years, the pandemic and those years accentuated all of that. And he says that current statistics show that one in four Americans are now nuns. You familiar with the word nuns, Audrey? N-O-N-E, not N-U-N. Right. The Catholic (laughs) order of nuns has not skyrocketed with an influx of people. Um, These are people that uh, ascribe to no or none in their affiliations uh, with any religious entities. They have none. And so one in four people are now saying they're that. Where you can really see this, the stark difference is in generations. In our eldest generation of Christians in this country, 80% of Christians are white. Projections, on the other hand, for 2060 suggest that only 43% of Christians will be white by 2060, which is anticipating a steep decline in people who are white and associating with the Christian faith, but also a boost among other demographics and a sharing of that Christian identity in a much more diverse fashion the more years that that go on. So that will include an increase in people who say they are nuns, but it will also increase uh, the the diversity in the ranks of, of Christianity in our country. Some really interesting projection lines, I think. The response to this reality that younger people are less likely to be associated with the faith mm-hmm. um, has been various mechanisms to pulling young people, saying this isn't your grandma's church, here's your music that you're familiar with, right? Here's various other events and hip things, right? Here's the coffee bar. This is a quote from from the book. The bigger picture facing churches is this. Your grandmother is the one keeping churches alive. There's your grandmother's church, and then they're sleeping in on Sunday and eating avocado toast or going to a youth sports game or out to brunch or hanging out with friends. The habit of church going as a socially prescribed requirement for a good life or religious obligation is no longer embraced by most Americans and especially young Americans. That sounds about right, mm-hmm. doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Is that particularly scary, you think? Yes and no. I mean, I think there's certainly more competition for younger people on a Sunday morning than there was for our parents' or grandparents' generations. But I remember saying over and over again when I was in a Bible study where people kept bemoaning the fact that there was all these options. It's like, so you're telling me that you want to go back to when people came to church because they had nothing better to do? Yeah. Like, right? is that actually better? Is that actually discipleship? <laughs> right. right. Or or because people came to church because there was some kind of social benefit to being a part of a particular church. Right. Um, that's not exactly what I want either. Yeah. In some ways, that part's not scary at all here. There's There's a good bit of 
encouragement to me in the fact that church can return to something that people who want to be a part of will be a part of. Right, yeah. And that's a more compelling reason, I think, for evangelism, too. Then somebody yeah. visiting a church that says, you got to go somewhere. You might as well come here. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah. Sounds Rather great. than like, come join us. We have this really authentic way of doing faith. Right. And and we're, yeah, we're convicted of this. Right. Right. We're all in. Right. Yeah. So I think there's some positive and, and negative there. He takes this uh, a step further and talks a little bit about kind of two different kinds of uh, Christian participation that he alludes to. One is like a congregational life person, somebody who's actively involved in a local congregation and is a participating Christian disciple in that in that setting. Mm-hmm. And then he, there's kind of this other wave of Christian identity now in this country that's more national, cultural, political even. Maybe um, even a little performative. To a certain extent, performative yeah but it's it's an identity that might influence the way you vote or who you might subscribe to in terms of uh who you're a fan of yeah who you're following on youtube or which news program you're following or 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 those kind of things but it does not translate necessarily into active participation in some local christian body it becomes a cultural witness rather than a personal right engagement and so shmatana and certainly me i'm much more interested in folks who want to be Mm -hmm. a congregational life kind of christian that's not to say that congregational life doesn't then impact how you participate in culture right if i'm understanding you correctly he's just recognizing that there can be a gap in between someone's public appearance of faith and their actual engagement at in a personal faith or local communal faith yeah 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 right personal meaning that it's actually something that they take seriously themselves and for me you can only do that in a (laughs) in a community of faith but yes that's what i mean by personal yeah because so when you become a part of a local congregation there there are other elements that are introduced to your life local congregations are often in charge of food banks or clothing closets or various other community services and so you're part of a a volunteer culture and a service culture i mean i was talking about small groups right being a place where people share their hearts and study scripture on deeper levels that are often engaged by um, more of a passive watching television personality or reading news articles or, or something like that yeah there's that there's that deeper ownership that's less of a faith prescription this Mm -hmm. is what a person of faith is going to be like and more of a let's figure out what a person of faith is going to be like and so yeah we got these little institutions right that Mm -hmm. are kind of sorting that out Mm -hmm. together in really neat ways there's also just the just the friendships that are formed there right the the kind of classic church image of your person in your life is having surgery Here's meals. People do that for each other because there's a mutual concern and care for for each other in these local entities. Yeah, and would you say that he is worried that one type of that faith is taking over the other? Yeah, I think... Or threatening? I think so. And, and if it's not taking over, it's driving away. 
because there's a there's an association that this is what it means to be Christian. And I want no part of it. And then. on the national level, that's what you might see. And so you don't see you don't see the fact that we just got inundated with meals after our kid was born or mm -hmm. um, we share a, a small group once a week with people that genuinely care for and pray for one another. You that's, just see. Well, it's also not newsworthy. If we're going to go back to my, <laughs> my research project and uh, like social media and the yeah. problems with that, it's you know, it's the scandalous things that often make the news. And so it's going to be the scandalized forms of faith that are often going to be the most public. Yeah, yeah. Rather than the genuine, quiet, everyday kind of mm -hmm. faith. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's, there's a bit of a threat, whether because people will only practice the one form of Christianity or because that form of Christianity will drive people away. Right. So we need to just put some extra care and concern into that local congregational form, but those local entities, they are institutions. And, and all institutions right now are struggling to figure out what what it means to be an institution in a post-pandemic era. We listened to a really great podcast recently, NPR, on third places, Oh yeah, where it, it talked about like your first place being your home, your second place being work, and your third place being your social engagement, mm -hmm. and how important those third places are, but how now that things have been moved virtually, that it's not meeting the same need in the same way, we're losing connections in that way. And yeah. so all of these institutions that I think help to foster that third place are are threatened by the tearing of the fabric of what it means to be engaged in community. Sure. And church is one of them. They talked about like libraries, gyms, mm. you know, community centers, those places being other kinds of third places and every single one of them is struggling. Yeah. So it's just like you could note the difference between doing Peloton classes and going to your local gym and having mm. friends and doing a bike class there. Right, you can note the difference between being a Christian passive cultural participant and right. being in the pews and in the small group rooms of a local congregation. Right. And I think the the desire is because anytime you take a step towards other people, it gets messy. Yeah. And so some people think that the alternative then is to sanitize <laughs> Right. Sanitize these things so that they the, you can get rid of the germs and what ends up happening is you lose you lose the community altogether. You kill the good antibodies as as well as the germs. Yeah, so this is where we stand, right? We stand with these these threats to the institution, an institution that's already experience uh, experiencing participation declines. And yet these little things, <laughs> local entities are crucial to people's lives, are providing crucial community service, and we will likely be losing many of them right. in the next however many years. And so, that's just where we are. Right. My assumption is, I haven't read the book, Tim has read the book, my assumption is that he's going to talk about what do we do going forward, yeah. that he'll give us some suggestions knowing, with the basic assumption that these things are important, even yeah. as they are threatened. Yes, he, he's going to make the argument for why such such local entities of varying sizes are important for humanity and our social networks, 
and uh, try to outline some some potential way forwards for us. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, he's got this little phrase called surrogate faith, which was interesting. He told a story about a pastor who was just feeling at the end of their abilities in their in their context and just felt like he wasn't doing anything right anymore and didn't have the energy and the passion to perform his pastoral duties. And so the congregation just came to him and said, it's time to take a break. Um, we're not firing you. We love you. Just take a pause. Care for yourself. Care for your own spiritual health. And we've got this. You've trained us up well enough that we can carry the leadership of this we can carry our, our, our faith responsibilities for each other in a, in a period of pause because the fact of the matter is my faith development isn't completely 100% on you, man. <laughs> so he, he took a pause and the congregation provided a surrogate faith is kind of this, this like concept. A placeholder. Yeah, yeah, until the pastor came back um, revitalized. And so there's some metaphor there, I think, for this period of time where local congregations are keeping the light on, right? Keeping the torch lit um, mm -hmm. as things undergo a drastic change. So in some of what I hear in that is to whittle it down to the essentials mm. and to not, not keep trying to strive at things that you're realizing may not be working or were kind of a nice perk. <laughs> right. um, but may not necessarily be essential. Maybe this is the time to kind of whittle it down to the essentials while we kind of see what's left and then build from there Right, right. in this time of change. That's a little bit of the permission giving of don't wallow in the everybody's gone, but celebrate, okay, this is who's here. Right. What can we do with this for the glory of God and our neighbor's good? Right. Right? Because that's ultimately our purpose anyway. And yeah, we were headed in this direction, and maybe those folks will find their way back into uh, faith practices. I hope so. It's certainly part of the mission of the church is to is to draw people into the, the life-saving power of Jesus Christ and his way. But there's a lot of factors going on here that have left us where we are. So that's where we stand. Next week, we'll talk a little bit about why people have left, particular reasons why people have left. And a lot of this chunk of is kind of outlining the differences between the mini and mega church divide mm -hmm. um, because there's a good bit of play off of one another there for why people are, are leaving, hmm. uh, leaving for the other or leaving altogether or hmm. um, something like that. So we'll talk a little bit about about that before we give you a little bit more hope. Yeah, we'll, we'll knock you down again, and then we'll pull you back up. But just enough hope, because we don't know the answers here. We don't know what's on the other side well, of this institutional to, time. You don't need to know the answers to have hope. That's, yeah. that's not necessarily gospel. That's fair. That's fair. Well, thank you all for joining us for another exploration. As always, we welcome your feedback and conversation. If you want to reach out to us, feel free to contact us at coffeewiththepastorspodcast at gmail.com. But until next time, this has been Coffee with the Pastors. Live for the glory of God and our neighbor's good. The primary purpose of this podcast is for conversation and faith exploration. It is intended for private, non-commercial use and does not necessarily reflect the opinion of any agency or organization. 
Check out the following resource for more information, Reorganizing Religion by Bob Schmitano.